Our first lesson is from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 60, verses 1 through 6. Listen now for the word of God. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes, and look around. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from far away, and your daughters shall be carried on their nurses' arms. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice, because the abundance of the sea shall be brought to you, and the wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephthah, all those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Hear now the word of the Lord. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out. And there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, I pray now that you would pour your Holy Spirit through me that these words might truly become your living word to your people. And I pray that you would open up each of our hearts and minds that we might receive that word exactly in the place that we need to hear it. For we pray this in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. 
During the season of Advent, we all prepared ourselves to receive the Christ child. On Christmas Eve, we gathered together to celebrate God's gift to the world of his only son, born as a baby in Bethlehem. Then from December 25th to January 5th, the Church of Jesus Christ celebrated the 12 days of Christmas as we continue to receive and ponder this greatest of gifts. But this past Thursday, January 6th, was a special day in the life of the church called Epiphany. While during the 12 days of Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation of Christ in the world, on Epiphany, we celebrate the manifestation of Christ to the world. Now in the Eastern Church, the emphasis of Epiphany has tended to fall on the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, celebrating the revelation of Christ as the Messiah and the second person of the Trinity. In the Western Church, however, of which we are a part, the emphasis of Epiphany has tended to fall on the revelation of Christ to the Gentiles as we celebrate the arrival of the wise men who came bearing gifts for Jesus. Now, throughout the history of the church, there has been much speculation about these magi from the east, about who they were and where they were from. Some scholars think they must have been from Arabia because that is what the east has generally meant in the biblical tradition. Others have speculated that they were stargazers from Babylon. Others still have thought that they were part of a priestly caste of Medes who served the king of Persia as astrologers and interpreters of dreams. In fact, throughout the Greco-Roman world, Magi were thought to be gifted in recognizing the signs of the times and foretelling important events, such as the birth of kings. The truth, however, is that we really just don't know much about them. Matthew has not given our inquisitive minds nearly enough information to satisfy our curiosity. And over the centuries, that has driven people nuts. And so over the years, there have been many stories and legends that have arisen about these wise men. In some stories, they evolved into kings themselves, much like the song we just sang. Somebody even gave them names. Gaspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Notice, however, that the text never tells us how many wise men there were. Some early traditions only had two. Other traditions had 12. Most traditions ended up settling on three because that's how many gifts were mentioned. But once again, the truth is simply that we just don't know. About the only thing we do know about the Magi is that they were Gentiles, just like you and I, who came from afar to find the Christ child. And when they did find him, they fell down on the ground before him and worshipped him, offering him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then these mysterious visitors from afar disappeared back into history returning to wherever it was from which they had come. 
Now, I actually think it was divine inspiration that left the identity and origin of these wise men unknown. After all, they could really be from just about anywhere, even Birmingham, Alabama. So perhaps the more relevant question is not where are they from, but simply are you one of them? Have you come with the rest of the Magi to offer yourself to Jesus and present him with your gifts? And Christmas may be the time for us to receive God's gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, but Epiphany is our opportunity to give back with grateful hearts. And as we begin 2022, I can think of no better time for us to consider what gifts we may offer the Savior this year. Now, some of you may want to offer him gifts and sacrifices of devotion, making your faith and your family's faith a greater priority this year. That might be a, an increased commitment to come and worship him more regularly or to participate in a Bible study or into an adult education class. It might be an increased financial commitment to the mission of the church or an increased participation in the mission of the church or a determination to fulfill your baptismal vows by devoting yourself to the children or the youth of this congregation. It might be a commitment to spend a little time each day in prayer and devotions or, or a pledge to read the whole Bible in one year. I wonder... What gifts will you come and offer the Savior this year? Of course, for some of us, there may be a different kind of offering that we need to come and lay at Jesus' feet. For many of us are carrying heavy burdens that are weighing us down. And what we really need is to, is to give them over to Jesus, who alone has the strength to carry them. This might be anxiety about your family, or about your health, or about your finances, or about your future. It might be feelings of regret, or inadequacy, or grief that still pierces your heart on dark, lonely nights. It might be a, a burning resentment or deep anger that you're holding onto, but that is slowly eating you up inside. It may even be disappointment with God that is preventing you from coming home to the Father's house. What is it in your life that you need to let go of and lay down at the feet of Jesus? But whether we come to Jesus offering him our gifts and sacrifices or to give over to him our burdens and concerns, we cannot give them to Jesus with one hand while holding back with the other. After all, there is no such thing as a part-time Christian, no halfway discipleship. Of course, that's the way we usually like to give, isn't it? I mean, we'll give a little bit with one hand while holding back with the other because we want to stay in control of it. Right? You can have this as long as I still have this. 
Notice, however, when the wise men came to Jesus, they, they bowed their whole selves down before him, offering both their lives and their greatest treasures. And so must we, if Jesus is going to make any real difference in our lives. And the text tells us that after worshiping Jesus, the wise men returned to their homes by another road. Or as it could be translated, they returned a different way. I don't think this is just talking about the route they took on Google Maps. I think they went back as different people, having been transformed by the life-changing encounter with the Savior. And when we offer our whole selves to Jesus, we too become different people, transformed as we receive the new life that Jesus was just dying to give us. Like King Herod, however, most of us have a tendency to compartmentalize our lives and our faith, proclaiming our loyalty and devotion to Jesus out of one side of our mouths while denying him out of the other. When the wise men came to Jesus looking for the one born king of the Jews, Herod told them to go and find the child and report back to him so that he too might go and worship the new king. But not only did Herod have no intention of worshiping Jesus, he was already plotting to eliminate his new rival. Like Herod, most of us can talk the talk, professing to be loyal followers of Jesus, worshipers of the Christ child. But so often our words and our actions and our attitudes and our priorities prove otherwise, revealing that like Herod, we still want to sit on the throne in our lives and be king or queen ourselves. We offer Jesus a few token gifts with one hand while holding most of ourselves back with the other. And then we wonder why so little in our lives ever changes. When I was in seminary, one of my teachers, Craig Barnes, told us a story about a time when he was in graduate school. He said that there was a, a Korean exchange student named Kim who came and spent a year with his class, bringing with him many of his Korean traditions. For example, anytime there was a holiday, like President's Day, Kim would come bearing gifts for everyone in the class because in his culture, you gave gifts on holidays. Now, usually they were just little things, like even origami, but, but they were always given with two hands. And since nobody had the heart to tell Kim that we don't actually exchange gifts on President's Day, he just kept doing it. So Memorial Day, May Day, Flag Day, they all kept receiving gifts, but always given with two hands. Well, finally, someone said to him, Kim, that there's got to be some purpose behind the giving with two hands. What does that mean? He said, oh, I don't even think about it much anymore. It's it's just one of the customs of my people. It's a symbolic gesture, really. Giving with two hands means that we are giving you everything we have to give. We hold nothing back. My friends, if we're ever going to become the people that God has created us to be, if we're ever going to become the church that God is calling us to be, 
then we've got to offer our whole selves to Jesus, holding nothing back. Again, there's no such thing as a part-time Christian. And whether, whether we come to him offering him our gifts or our burdens, if Jesus is truly Lord and King of our lives, then we've got to offer them to him with two hands. It is the only way we will ever be able to receive the abundant life that we were created for by the God who always gives to us with two hands. The great second century theologian Irenaeus gives us a wonderful image for this when he writes that the Son and the Holy Spirit are the two hands of God. With those two hands, God formed all of creation. With those two hands, God shaped and molded humanity into his own image. And with those two hands, God is reaching out to embrace us. Like the good shepherd with his lost sheep or the father of the prodigal son, God runs to us with both hands extended in order to enfold us in his arms and bring us home to the father's house, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And in giving us his son and his spirit, God has given us everything he had to give. He has held Nothing back. On Epiphany, we celebrate the revelation of Christ to us Gentiles. The right hand of God to those of us who are far away. Who the Apostle Paul says were once without Christ. Who were aliens of the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, Paul says, we who like those wise men were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And it is of him that Irenaeus writes, this hand of God, which formed us in the beginning, and which does form us in the womb, has in the last times sought us out who were lost, winning back his own, and taking up the lost sheep upon his shoulders, and with joy restoring it to the fold of life. And in doing so, Jesus gave us everything he had to give, he held nothing back, not even his own life. Two-handed giving. In response to so great a gift, what will you, what will I, what will we, offer the Christ child this year.